Secret, 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 secret tunnel. I love this show so much. Be a fan, Bachelor, friends, where we talk about movies all day. Hi, I'm Amy. And I'm Grace. Welcome to our living room floor. This week, we're talking about... Water, <laughs> earth, fire, air. Long ago, the four nations lived together in harmony. Then, everything changed when the fire nation attacked. Only the Avatar, master of all four elements, could stop them. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. A hundred years passed, and my brother and I discovered a new Avatar, an airbender named Aang. And although his airbending skills are great, he still has a lot to learn before he's ready to save anyone. But I believe Aang can save the world. That was either cool or creepy. I'm betting on creepy. I'm pretty sure it was creepy. We'll figure it out. Um, So if you can't tell, we've both (laughs) seen Avatar The Last Airbender more than once. More than once. A couple of times. Here and there. I for sure have completely binged it in order three times now. Because with you, with Neil, and with my sister. Probably same. Yeah, because I watched it. I bought it. Actually, physically bought a copy of the entire series. Ooh, of we own DVDs. We're old fashioned. <laughs> uh, it was on sale at Walmart, um, <laughs> and that was my self care last year. Was going to what the Walmart movie aisle, um, but I watched it last year when I bought that, and then I, I we watched the whole thing together, haven't we? Mm-hmm. So we watched that, and then Avatar is one of those shows that I like in high school when I watched things illegally online in my downtime. That is the first one I watched. Mm-hmm. The original way that I watched Avatar was actually reruns on Nickelodeon. I was say, did you ever watch it like live shows on Nickelodeon? So I didn't see most of it as live shows, but I watched the marathon leading up to when Sozin's Comet episodes Ooh. aired for the first time. So I Ooh. caught up just in fine for the finale. This is a recurring theme in my life. Uh, <laughs> I did the same exact thing with Game of Thrones. Um, and so the only thing that I think I've ever seen live are the Sozin's Comet episodes. Um, but I've also watched marathons on Nickelodeon just when they would do them on like a random day. Because mm-hmm. I have memories of coming home from school and jumping in at like the end of book two and watching the end of the series. Ooh, okay. Um, so I've seen all, some of the episodes a lot. Like, it always surprises me how late in the series Zuko actually joins Team Avatar because I have so many memories of him being on the team Mm -hmm. because I've seen the end of book three so much. Well, and it, like, not to jump straight into analysis, I feel like it has, like, such a good lasting impact because as soon as he got into Team Avatar, you could see all of his actions leading up to it that brought him there. So even stuff Mm -hmm. that he did in season one felt like he was on Team Avatar suddenly because you can see... The end result of that journey. Right. And I too, and I know like this is the most repeated thing on the internet about Zuko ever, but his character arc is so good and his redemption arc is done in such a like good, wholesome, he atoned for his sins kind of way that I think even just that had a lasting impact on me as a kid where like I recognized that his journey to joining Team Avatar was well done because it like struck a chord and like was memorable. Mm Mm-hmm. 
They just don't make him like Zuko anymore. <sighs> Plus, like, the entire third season is building up to him joining them, even though he's on his own for most of it, right? Um, he's on his own... Well, he's without Iroh, which I kind of consider, like, on his own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From some point in book two through, like, halfway through book three, because that's when there's... This isn't the finale of book two until halfway. Because he leaves... Black Sun isn't the finale of book two. No, I know, but that's when he leaves Iroh. Black Sun is when he leaves the Fire Nation capital, because he's been acting as the prince. When he leaves Iroh... It's when the Earth Kingdom falls. Spoiler alert. Yes, so that, yeah, that is the end of book two. Yeah, you're right. So, spoiler but, alert, this whole podcast <laughs> is a spoiler. When you consider the fact that he never once feels comfortable in the Fire Nation, like, that, it feels like he's spending the entire, t- like, entire third season with Team Avatar, even though he doesn't know then that he's going to join Team Avatar. Yeah. It's like, we can see right away that, oh gosh, he is still conflicted about this. He is eventually going to leave. Mm-hmm. Where else is he going to go other than... Hi, Zuko here. <laughs> um, it is... Okay, here's my one thing that I don't like about Zuko's arc. That one episode where he's, like, physically ill and, like, has a fever because he did something that's so against <laughs> his character thus far. So fucking cheesy. That's so cheesy. I feel like... And I'm saying this with, like, I feel And all like he I, did was save Appa. Like, congrats, you don't condone, like, animal abuse. True. Okay, I feel like that has to be rooted in something else. And I mean, like, if you consider all the spirituality of the Avatar wor- world and balancing your chakras yeah. and stuff like that... That there's something in, like... Sorry, I'm interrupting you. Um, go. <laughs> that there's something in that. And then also, like, it reminds me of, like, you know, when you get done with finals and suddenly you're sick. Because all the stress you've been holding is gone. So your body's like, okay, I can completely break down now. I feel like that Zuko, like the last, what, three years of his life have been like this one thing. And suddenly he stops and his body's like, oh, we're done. We can take a break. Okay. And then just shuts down completely. Oh, yeah. When you say it like that, I like it better. Where I thought you were going to go with that, though, is that there's something in one of the cultures they pulled from where it's like, oh, when you get sick, it's because you've had, like, some drastic change of heart or something yeah. like that. Yeah, and that's that's definitely a thing in, like, and I feel, and I don't know if I'm pulling that from, like, something I've seen and forgotten about or something I've read and forgotten about, but that has to be a thing. And, like, so mm-hmm. much, like, uh, Eastern medicine and just, like, early medicine ideas are about, like, spirituality being, like, more tied to the body. So that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't be surprised if that was something they actually your inspiration from but also college finals yeah zuko the college student someone's written a uh, university au about this zuko is prime college student (laughs) just like he's like 15 and we're like college student the weirdest thing is like thinking about their ages because like ang is 12 12. guitar is 14 sokka's zuko like 17 or 18 no, Sokka is 16, and so is Zuko, okay. and then um, Azula's, Azula's 17. Azula's young- isn't Azula younger than- Azula's younger than Zuko. Is she? Yeah, she's- Wait. isn't she 14? I thought she was Katara's age. And Toph is, what, 12? Aang is 12, Zuko and Yue are 16, Toph is 12, and May's brother is 2. Okay, that's not helpful. <laughs> Why is that the characters you gave us? <laughs> 
Katara is 14. Sokka is 15. Zuko is 16. <gasps> and Azula is 14. You were right. That means Zuko was 13 when he got banished. Yeah. He got his fucking face burned. Yeah. Okay. Here's something that I pointed out upon my most recent rewatch that has me really like mentally fucked up. So when they show the Agni Kai with Zuko and his father, they go to the crowd and show Iroh at the moment that Zuko gets burned. Mm-hmm. He turns his face away. And Iroh doesn't watch. And you, there's the whole thing where you're watching Azula watch and you're like, holy shit, she's insane. That's the first time <laughs> yeah. that you actually see Azula is seeing her in that scene. Yeah. Um, however... There's an entire fucking crowd of people watching that Agni Khan. Yeah. So that means that many people stood there and watched a 13-year-old's face get burned. And then obviously, like, if your face gets burned, you probably, like, fucking pass out. Or at least are incapacitated. So then an entire crowd of people watched, like, a 13-year-old just get, like, carried out of the arena and banished or something? Like, how fucked up is the Fire Nation? It's, well, it's extremely fucked up, but, like, when you... Th- think about it I feel like there has like we know that there's a lot of misinformation going around the Fire Nation we know that these kids are raised on propaganda and stuff so you know that most of the people in that crowd have no idea why Zuko's getting like they probably think like Zuko's actually said something horrible about like a general or like is actually actively committing treason Mm -hmm. and that's why he's getting punished which is still fucked up that a 13 year old boy would deserve that punishment but like then like what if someone said the truth about what happened. Because even uh, when you first learn what happened to Zuko, Iroh's telling the rest of the crew on the ship. Mm-hmm. And they're it's all that, like... that, like, bonfire-y yeah, scene. They all think it's, like, a training accident or something. No one yeah, realizes that's what they that were it's told. their father. Right. Okay, but how did that many people watch and then the guys on the ship think it's a training accident? Which, like, I get that only, like, upper-class people probably could go to an Agni Kai with, like, mm-hmm. such high-profile people fighting in it. But also, like, how would they still not know at all then? Unless that's what I Zuko has told them if they've asked. Could be what Zuko told them. They probably wouldn't ask. I also have a feeling that Zuko's ship is full of, like, the absolute scum of the military. Like, it's all the people who are about to lose their jobs, and they're like, you know what, we'll send you on this really stupid mission instead. Like, mm-hmm. Well, I don't think he even has military people on his ship, probably. My guess is that the reason he even has a ship in the first place, even though he's been banished, is because it was a ship that, like, he owned because he is royalty. Yeah. So he still, like, was able to take his own ship, and then he probably had to hire a random-ass crew to, like... They are fire nation crew, though. They are, but he probably literally had to go into a random, like, go yeah. to a random port and just hire somebody in, like, a bar and be so, like, can I hire you to t- hunt the Avatar with me on my ship? Yes. So it's probably not people who are in the capital or city. Or it's not even or... his ship. He Just him and I were went into a random bar and were like, we need to hire somebody it with a ship. It is part of the Fire Nation military fleet. Like, it is the same design as the rest of the Fire Nation military ships. Okay. I feel like, because it was a mission his father did technically send him on. It mm-hmm. was like, here's your dinky-ass ship and your dinky-ass crew. Get out of my sight. Well, and what's his name? Zhao. Zhao recognizes his ship. Mm-hmm. And knows it's Zuko's ship when yeah. he sees it. It's smaller than a lot oh, of military ships. Oh, it's way smaller. Yeah. Which makes me think that, like, this was, like, it could be his first ship. It could be, like, one that was about to be retired from the military. 
Uh, like, I really yeah. do think he got, like, the absolute bottom of Or it's, like, an old model they were going yeah. to, like, get rid of or something. Yeah. They're like, I guess you can have this. Go have fun. Here's your piece of shit. Hope you, you die. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that would make sense why there's that misconception. But you're right. And, like, but, like, yeah, I feel like it's, there's so many lies and just propaganda around the Fire Nation that if someone was like, oh, yeah, Fire Lord, Lord Ozide fucking burned his own son. They'd be like, oh man, what did he do to deserve that? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did he disrespect his father then? So the people in the crowd were probably like, oh, he's trying to destroy the Fire Nation. Of course he should die, even though it's sad that he's a little kid. Like, yeah. And then there's also the fact that, like, there's also the fact that, like, 16-year-old would be manhood. So, like, 13-year-old would be the start of being, as he said, he's allowed into that war meeting in the first place because he's starting to become a man. So... Age is seen differently in Avatar Universe. Yeah. It's that YA thing where everyone's an adult as soon as they turn 16, so. And then you read it when you're older and you're like, what? Fuck. Yeah. That's a child. That's a child. Ain is 12. He's a that little That vine, baby. though, where it's like, oh, a child. <laughs> Basically. You know, we never figured out what our overarching theme of this episode was going to be. We just went into talking about Zuko. It's fine. Okay, here's the other thing that I noticed upon my most recent rewatch. They completely set up Zuko and Katara to have a romantic arc and then just don't follow through. Like, they set, like, I, in retrospect, before this last watch, I thought I just shipped them because, like, I did. And now I realize that I was completely blindsided by them not getting together because they set it up entirely. We're like, she blames Zuko on, like, unjustly for the death of her mother. Mm-hmm. He still helps her, like, get her revenge and everything and helps her, like, go through an emotional journey. And then they have the, like, jokes of people, like, saying that she is his girlfriend because, like, he's using the necklace to, like, track her with, like, the sloth animal thing. Not sloth. Uh, like, the mole skunk creature. Yeah. Um, and... Like, that happens. And then the fact that she's with him for his Agni Kai with Azula, and that he sacrifices himself to save her from mm-hmm. Azula's lightning, like, is completely setting them up for, like, a romantic ending together. Because they have a, like, full, like, arc story of, like, like a good enemies-to-lovers kind of arc where like it makes sense they went through an emotional journey together now they feel more bonded then he makes like the sacrifice and shows that he has completely changed like it works really really well and they just didn't do it yeah it's like they wrote it that way at first and then backtracked but didn't fix everything from how they originally wrote it it doesn't make sense i honestly don't like the only relationship in the avatar universe that's a lie i like koronasami obviously the only relationship in the first part of the Avatar universe that I like is honestly Sokka and Suki because they're the one that I was thinking of too when you started to say that. Yeah, they're good. They're because because I don't I, I really actually like Mei as a character, but I hate Zuko and Mei because it feels like they're both holding each other back. They are. They're not a healthy relationship. They're not, and they're and they're even portrayed as jokingly just that like emo teen relationship. But it's like they both do grow from there, mm-hmm. but they don't do that together. They never have. They both have periods of growth, but they never have them together. I also low key ship May and Tylee. It's fine. <laughs> 
But yeah, uh, but when they feels... turn on Azula together is so that good. might be my favorite moment in the entire series, honestly. I it's so good when Tylee starts hitting Azula's like spots that she can't bend and you're just like, oh, what is happening? Cause like Sorry, I'm realizing some things about myself right now. Um, okay, no, because listen, listen, listen. So I watched parts of the first and second se- season on Nickelodeon, but mm-hmm. never caught the third season. And it, it's so plot heavy, unlike the other two, that you can't just catch an episode and understand what's going on. Right. So I watched it all online, like on Nick.com or something like that at some point. Yeah, they used to post it on there. Um, and watched the entire season. And I remember... Don't remember how old I was, but remember stopping and rewatching that moment where Tylee jumps in like 15 times and just being like, one of those things where you're just obsessed with a female character and a female friendship and all that stuff and you don't really fix it. You're fixating and you don't know why. That's one of those examples. <laughs> oh, little Grace to be so young and naive. Mm-hmm. Anyways, you were saying. Um, I love Boiling Rock episodes one and two part one and part two for a lot of reasons but I think the main reason that I really love them is because of May's turn because I think that's the only episode where I feel that they are proving to us that Zuko and May do love each other and not just telling us Mm -hmm. and then the fact that she is like what does it look like I'm doing I'm saving my dumb boyfriend Um, And the fact that she's, like, angry that she cares because he is turning on the Fire Nation, but she, like, still loves him enough to save him because she's the first person we've seen whose loyalty is in people and not the nation. Yes. She's the first Fire Nation person we've seen do that besides Iroh. Mm -hmm. And then her line, I guess I love him more than I fear you, to Azula is such a fucking zinger ah! and like that hitting then and then Ty Lee turning on Azula and protecting May from being that killed Ty by Lee's, Azula Ty Lee's the second person to believe in people over a nation right because like, she's picked such... she's picked May over the Fire Nation and over her fear of Azula because together they can take out Azula they are stronger than oh, her yeah. and they have realized that um, and it's a really good turning point for both of them as like the friends that she's manipulating into mm-hmm. being her friends yes um because she brings nothing to the table for them they just do her bidding of who she needs to pursue and she bullies the crap out of them like she is the toxic friend that they realize they don't need and that's so good too because i think too in a lot of like in a group of three friendships a lot of times one of you is toxic and just holding the other two in there And those other two people would be way better off just being best friends together, but that third person Mm -hmm. is there holding you guys in. Well, and it's such a good callback. Not speaking from experience at all. (laughs) It's such a good callback, too, to, like, Tylee didn't want to go with Azula at first. Tylee had finally broken free of her family, of her past, of everything she didn't want to be, and was pursuing something she loved. Mm -hmm. And Azula came back and dragged her into She was out of the war, and Azula dragged her into the war. yeah. Um, and May wanted to go, but May didn't know what she wanted. She was just bored and she neglected by her parents. Yeah, like, exactly. It's, and it's so interesting, too, because, like, that mirrors so much of what Team Avatar goes through, too. Like, Toph is bored and neglected by her parents, just wants something to do, so she goes with the Avatar. May did the fucking same thing with Azula. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, man. I think, too... For a, like, fantasy or... For, like, 
YA fantasy. It's really interesting, all of their, like, home life stories. Because I feel like so often in YA fantasy, it's just, like, orphan, 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 orphan. Mm -hmm. No one's actually an orphan in this. Because, like, yeah, you can consider, like, Aang an orphan because we never see his parents and we just know he's raised by the monks and the airbenders are all dead at the point that, yeah. like, we join in and after, you know, he's been in the iceberg for a hundred years. But he doesn't ever, like, have that orphan sort of mentality of, like, I can't rely on others or anything like that. I just, like, me and myself and I. He never has that kind of, like, classic YA orphan mentality of being, mm -hmm. like, closed off or anything like that. Um, so then... It's, like, overall, and obviously even though, like, Zuko's mom is missing and he wouldn't consider his father a father, we still see that there's adults in his life. Yeah, he still has Iroh, who is basically his, his father. father. Yeah, and I feel like this show does a good job of avoiding a lot of the really, like, classic YA tropey kind of stuff. Or, like, you see their parents at the beginning and then never again. Like, Sokka and Katara's father... Mm -hmm. appears on and off through the second and third season and he is a huge driving force in their decisions over the courses of the season because at the point where they part ways with ang because they've gotten in a fight it's because they've decided to see their father over helping ang because he right. did do things that weren't okay yeah um and so like and obviously like zuko's father's a huge part of the series and even May's parents appear multiple times. Mm -hmm. um, the fact that Zuko and Zula's mom is gone and how she raised her kids comes up so oh, many yeah. times. Yeah. Um, so I think it is really cool to see teenage characters whose parents are still prominent roles in their life. And it's not just like Katniss and Hunger Games where she like has a mom at the beginning and then you never hear from her again until like the third book. Katniss's mother deserved better. <laughs> just gonna throw that out there. Yeah. Or Harry Potter, orphan. Even though he has, like, orphan. parental figures I would say but. that Toph is basically an orphan, but yes. even she has the thing where she thinks she gets a letter from her mom and wants to reconnect with her. It still comes up again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, I think it's, it's almost, like, trope-breaking for them to have the parents be in the story as much as they are, yeah. even though they're teens. Which then makes it interesting, because isn't, uh... Was it Bolin and Mako from Legend of Korra? They are orphans. They are orphans. So I think that's interesting. Their parents were murdered in front of him when he was eight. That's very happened? dramatic. Yeah, I don't remember um, that. They're but murdered in front of Mako when he's a kid. But that's really interesting because that's in a peacetime. That's it, it's. I think that's a really good way to set up like the war may be over, but things are still going wrong. Right. Well, they've got the, all the issues in that of like the gangs and street thugs, and they used to run with the gangs because they were orphans who had no other protection or way to get money. Yeah. Um, so like, it is a really easy way to expose the city for like all of its bad things, but it is kind of like a cop out. If you ask me from a storytelling perspective to be like, they're orphans. They ran in a gang. That's true. I guess I forgive it because they haven't done it yet. <laughs> um, and it's interesting to make that the peacetime era setting rather than the war taking over the entire world setting. Yeah. Yeah. Favorite episode, Amy? Oh. <laughs> I'm like, which ones did I get way too excited about? All of them. <gasps> it might be the library. 
It's so good. Yeah, I love the library. It's such, and it's a good creepy episode. I remember that owl scared the shit out of me as He's a kid. Fucking terrifying. Yeah, like when he starts chasing them, and his neck is just like longer every time they turn a corner. <laughs> Holy crap! That scared me so much as a kid. I like that the library started as because everyone knows Avatar has incredible filler episodes. Mm-hmm. And the library started as a filler episode and then turned into one of the most plot significant moments mm-hmm. in the it's entire series. It's literally Katara picking her vacation. It's Sokka picking It's Sokka his picking vacation. his we vacation. We talked about this. <laughs> I know we had. And I was so <laughs> sure I was getting it right. Katara chose to go to the Oasis. Sokka chose to go to the library. That's why I keep getting it mixed up. You're right. Mm-hmm. I think... Yeah, because they're all going on their mini vacations. Yeah. Um, yeah. This, that's also, I feel like, the episode when we really start to understand that Sokka is the... Nerd. Strategic, yeah, and, like, smart one. Because obviously they're all smart, but he's the strategic, the mm-hmm. war-minded strategic one. Which is really sad, because he's probably that way, because all of the, like, men left the South Pole. Yeah. And he was left as, like, the man in charge when he was, like, nine. Well, and also, like, he knows how to put on warrior makeup. And he knows how to wield a weapon, even though he's a little tiny child. Like, you know that he, when the men were still in the South Pole, he He was was training. And that's fucking terrifying. Because, like, as that's what wartime does. That's what wartime does. And he is so small. His little sword is, like, takes up his entire torso when he is in the flashbacks. And then so later, sad. he makes a space sword. He makes... I... Ooh, is that my favorite episode? <laughs> space sword. Okay, I love blacksmithing, just as a concept. I love when it has character meaning, and I love the idea of named weapons, weapons that have uh, significance and lore behind them, and mm-hmm. the idea that, like, your martial arts are going to have significance and lore and spirituality behind them. Like... Those are all just amazing themes that I am so, so, so here for. Mm-hmm. And again, like a really good filler episode. Yeah. And addressing something that was building for so long. Of him feeling incompetent mm-hmm. behind vendors. And uh, the idea that you're making allies even in the Fire Nation and the idea that the ally's going to come back later on. And, and then ties into the White Lotus stuff. <sighs> So All good. old dudes know each other. All old dudes know each other. I love that trope. I also, one of my favorite tropes of all time is the one where every ally you've met along the way comes back for the final battle. It's some good fucking shit right there. And Avatar does it so, so That's some well. good shit right there, right there, right, right there. there. <laughs> Niche memes, man. Sign me the fuck up for the skeleton, skeleton war. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> so, the library. Uh, yeah, Final it's a good answer. episode. I think so. The o- other episode, though, that comes to mind is the... I think it the title is, like, the Sunbenders, maybe? Oh, But the, the one where they, yeah, they find the dragons. That's a really good one. Yeah, because that's what bonds, really like, Zuko and Aang, and gets Aang to, like, properly trust Zuko, I think. Um, and also I just love those shots where it's them doing the dance and the dragons flying behind them. Those profile shots are so good. Yep. And then they do them again when they do the Avatar were, um, um, the original Avatar episodes and explain his story. 
They show him doing that with a dragon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they show him oh, doing the dance. That. It's so cool. Sun Warriors. Sun Warriors? The Sun Warriors is the tribe. Right. Is that the name of the episode, though? I don't remember. Maybe. I don't know. That's but. also such a good... Because I feel like that theme was building from season one when they first met John John. Mm-hmm. The the idea that if you fuel your firebending with yeah. anger, it won't work. Yeah. And I like that that's not just like a one-off thing that they learned, but something that multiple characters learn in their own paces and just keeps coming up. And I like that final reminder of like, because I feel like that right there is foreshadowing. I mean, obviously it's a kid's show. We know who's going to win at the end, but right. that right there is foreshadowing who is stronger Zuko or Azula, and Zuko finds a stronger fuel for his firebending than Azula ever had. Mm-hmm. Plus, too, like, thinking about the fact that the Fire Nation is able to wage a 100-year war because most people are fueling their firebending with anger is, like, I don't know. It's, like, creepy to think about, but, like, in that good, like, dang, that's really interesting to start, like, doing headcanons about mm-hmm. kind of way. I would love to, and this point makes me think that the episode where Aang goes to Fire Nation school for a hot second might be my favorite, because I, one thing that I really want to know, and we get an entire season learning more about the Fire Nation, which, like, first of all, for a kid's show, that's incredible, Mm -hmm. Um, but I want to know more about the Fire Nation in general, and what, when the soldiers signed up, is it a draft? Did they, were they fed some lines about protecting their homeland? I know... There's something about, like, they're trying to spread the glory of the Fire Nation to the rest of the world. They are having an unprecedented time of wealth and prosperity, and they should share it with the rest of the world. Yeah, so, like, what kind of brainwashing is going into that? What kind of training? and Or is it just that many soldiers in the Fire Nation are terrible, like, and raised on aggression and anger? Yes, Amy. Nazis. Well, obviously. (laughs) Clearly. That's not even subtle. But, yeah, man. Although there's no genocide aspect of it. There's no, like, hated race that they have. Except when they're going to burn the entirety of the Earth Nation because it's the only way to break their pride. Yeah. (laughs) But that's not, like... But it's it's still still, not quite as, like, genocidal. It's conquering rather than smiting. I would say. Although, they did wipe out all the airbenders. They wiped out all the airbenders. But that wasn't for a hate of airbenders. It was just a precautionary so that the Avatar is dead. Which is so... Which didn't even fucking work. Well, and it wouldn't work. That doesn't make any sense at all. Because then the Avatar Avatar would just be be reincarnated. So it's, you know that there's a seed of ignorance that is at the source of everything that they're doing. Or is it that they wiped out all of the air nomads? Because in their search for the Avatar, they were killing anybody along the way who wasn't the Avatar or who was getting in their way. And that ended up being everybody because they couldn't find the Avatar. But like, I mean, yeah, that's an entire possibility. But like the idea of like, we'll just kill the Avatar is... But I don't think they were going to kill him. Oh, they wanted to, oh. They wanted to, like, turn him to their side or imprison him if they couldn't get him to turn. Just, like, take him out of the picture of the war if he wasn't going to be on their side. And killing doesn't work unless he's going to be reincarnated into the Fire Nation, which would take three avatars to go through to get to that. So it would pretty much have to be imprisoned or turn. Yes. Um, which is what, oh god, what's... The Sozin. That's what Sozin tried to do, was turn the Avatar to his side. Because... Yeah. 
Roku. But yeah, he tried to get um, Roku to agree. So that would make sense that that's their. And they even say when they capture Ain at some point, like, oh, we're not going to kill you. We're just going to, you know, treat you like absolute shit. Yeah, um, what's his face? Jow says that to him mm-hmm. before Zuko comes and saves him as the Blue Spirit. Blue Spirit. Yeah, because that also makes again with the once Zuko joins Team Avatar, you see all the Blue Spirit episodes as him being on Team Avatar in a way. Mm-hmm. Well, even that first Blue Spirit episode when you don't know the Blue Spirit is him, and then he walks backwards with the knife to Ang's throat to get out of sight, and then he gets hit with the arrow and he gets knocked out, and Ang saves him. And then he wakes up in the woods and Aang's next to him and he's like, do you think we could be friends? And then he runs when Zuko mm-hmm. firebends at him. But the length of the pause before Zuko firebends after Aang asks if they could be friends or if they, like, they'd met before the war or something, if they'd be friends, the length of that pause like has so much meaning. Where like Zuko thinks about it. Before, like, his father's voice kicks in and he, like, decides he has to capture the Avatar, you know? Yeah, and, like, you have to wonder what's going through his- is he wondering, like, what would have happened if I wasn't banished? What would have happened if I didn't have the father I did? And, like, that's also the first time we hear about Aang's friend in the Fire Nation, too. Mm -hmm. And it's And you understand that before the war, the Four Nations lived in harmony! Lived together in harmony! Oh my Like, yeah, the intro says that, but you start, like, zoning it out, and you're not really listening anymore. And, like, you can't imagine the Fire Nation living harmoniously Mm -hmm. with everybody else, but they did! Well, and it's so interesting that Aang, who hasn't been around for a hundred years, still kind of knows the most about the world, because Katara and Sokka have never left the South Pole. No. Uh, so Toph has never left her hometown. Mm-hmm. Like, Ain is the one who's traveled everywhere and knows all the different creatures and, like, old, outdated cultural traditions, but still cultural traditions. Right. And, ha- yeah, he's very well-traveled for a 12-year-old monk. Yeah. But, I mean, he also has a flying bison, so. He also has a flying bison. He's also literally a nomad. Yeah. Um. Sorry, I just thought of the secret tunnel. Secret tunnel! <laughs> <laughs> Secret, 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 secret tunnel. I love this show so much. <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, yeah, I think that's my my favorite episode. Then would be when Aang goes to Fire Nation school because it's like it is like all those books you read, like all the like YA books about not Nazi Germany, basically, where mm-hmm. it's like you're reading about a protagonist inside the system, and you're like, oh shit, this is fucked up. Mm-hmm. That's it. Literally me watching Jojo Rabbit. <laughs> I still need to watch that. So weird. So fucking weird, but I think I like it, and I'm still not sure. I don't know. See, I was going along the lines of, like, boy in the striped pajamas or something like that. (laughs) That was just the most recent, like, child during the Holocaust thing I've watched. Yeah. Hot damn. It's weird that that's an entire genre in and of itself. Holocaust movies. Yeah. It's sad. Yeah. Anyways, um... (laughs) Moving on. We did not come up with a theme for this episode. <laughs> How much have we recorded? We said we have recorded 36 minutes and we never said our theme. Uh, this show is fucking good. Um, that, that's fair enough to me. I think this show is... Like, it's one of those things where... If I was going to have kids, I would be like, we're watching this. Oh, yeah. Because the kind of lessons and the empathy it teaches and the way it shows, like, people is really good. But also, it's all done in a way that children can understand because it's intended for them, Mm -hmm. you know? And, like, I think that's so good. 
It's also, it's so rare to see a kid's show take kids seriously. Because mm-hmm. there's some dark shit in Avatar. Even before Legend of Korra, which literally went off the air because of the dark shit in it. <laughs> like, Avatar itself has bloodbending and brainwashing. And, and the burning of children's faces. The burning of children's faces and... Like, ragtag kids in the woods. And, like, even more than just graphic horror, it has so many political complexities. And it has it has a puppet king. It has mm-hmm. uh, a, a 14-year-old who's been manipulated by her father to the point of literal madness. And it has, like, it's, it has no right being a show for children and having all this shit and doing it in a way that they can digest and understand and learn from and also genuinely fucking enjoy. Mm-hmm. It's so good. I let's talk about the brainwashing because that's I I know I just said that, but now I'm realizing ba that say, a fucking kids show has <laughs> brainwashing in it. Bossing say is like so much. Um, I think that when you watch it as a kid, like yeah, you get what's going on, but you don't get what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then the, when you think about it when you're older and you can understand how like the concept of like a puppet king would work more so or you understand that the lower ring where the refugees are is kept completely separate from the upper ring mm-hmm. and you see that like classism and like as you're able to understand those things more like yes if you watched Avatar as a kid it laid the groundwork for like, having that kind of, like, social understanding and, like, vocabulary and stuff like that. But when you watch it when you're older, you're like, holy shit, we show this to kids? I think it has that, um, the I'm gonna call it the Coraline effect, and I'm gonna coin this as a term. Thank you, Neil Gaiman. But the, have you seen the post where it's, like, Neil Gaiman in an interview talking about how when kids watch Coraline, they see themselves and they see a protagonist about to go on an adventure and beat the bad guy. Whereas when adults watch Coraline, they see parents neglecting their child and manipulation and, like, really full horrors. So, like, I think Avatar does the same thing where it has these really horrible things, but their kids, they set it up so kids can understand what's going on and understand that it's bad. But kids don't have the worldview to relate how terrifying it is. So Mm -hmm. they see this is bad and this is why we're going to defeat it. And they can take an adventure story and a life lesson and hope out of that rather than... And that's oh, that's such good writing, and even stuff like, like the Earth King, like he's almost like he's like what Toph could have been, and so we see Toph as sheltered and naive, but broke out of it, and so we see the Earth King as the same thing, and it's something we already have seen enough to relate to. Like they do such a good job of setting up these themes in different ways, so it's like a step by step process rather than explaining what a puppet king is. Like we know that the Earth Kingdom wealthy can be sheltered already. And so mm-hmm. it makes sense for the Earth King to be like that. I don't know. It's just... Cannot believe how well done it is. It's so well done. Also, just the way that each... Cat interruptions. Um, just the way that a lot of the episodes are structured where what they are dealing with is so reflected in what they encounter, but it's not heavy-handed. Mm-hmm. is so good. Like, the perfect balance of this internal conflict is shown metaphorically in the, like, physical conflict happening, and it makes them come to a greater understanding of themselves. But not yep. that cheesy! Yep. That's why, okay, I 
actually really love the monster of the week format where like every episode is just a new conflict that's neatly tied into that. I, it, it, it's so horribly done sometimes and can be incredibly cheesy and it springs from like shows like Supernatural or Charmed, which are cheesy and like that 90s brand of not great graphics cult following show. Buffy. Buffy <laughs> would also fall into that. But it's, I'm not going to go on a Joss Whedon rant. I'm not going to go on a Joss Whedon Save rant. Save it for a Joss Whedon rant episode. Okay. Um, but it's honestly one of the best ways to show off your characters because with no, or with minor over like overarching story, like the story you're following is how your characters are growing and interacting and learning. And that's all we fucking want out of shows is just good character development. Um, so when you do it well, I it might be my favorite format for a show. Because, mm-hmm. too, I think the key is if you have a Monster of the Week format and they're supposed to have learned something by the end of the episode, but then in, by the next season they're just the same person they were at the beginning of the previous season, you've failed. Mm-hmm. When they actually change properly over time and then you don't pull a Have Met Your Mother finale on it all, <laughs> it's really, really good. Yeah. Which is why you have to combine that with, like, subtle. And that's isn't that why Avatar does it so good? Because they have Monster of the Week format for the entire of Season 1, but they're still gradually moving north to the North Pole, mm-hmm. where Aang can learn waterbending. Well, and the finale of Season 1 is him witnessing the Fire Nation, like, yeah. properly attacking somewhere for the first time, and it's setting in for him, this is real. Mm-hmm. You have to defeat the Fire Lord, and this is the kind of power that he wields. Yep. And, I mean, part of it, too, is him, like, going into the Avatar state and, like, them winning at such a high caliber, but part of it, too, is that they are witnessing the reality of what has happened to the world for the first time. Yeah. Because Aang's being unsheltered about what the world's become, and Katara and um, Sokka are being unsheltered from the fact that they've never traveled. So even though they've experienced Fire Nation raids, they've never traveled and seen the, how the rest of the world is being treated because of the war. I do think, along that note, one of the most like poignant moments of the entire series is in that finale when Ain has spent all day taking out ships by hand, and he comes back and he's like, I don't think I can do it. I'm just one kid. Mm-hmm. Like There's that moment he's just head in his hands, and we have never heard him sound tired we have never heard him sound defeated Mm -hmm. and he has been winning all day long and he's fucking exhausted and that's like oh my gosh yeah getting chills thinking about avatar season one finale guys well the fact too that ang can't do it by himself Mm -hmm. and that's why yue has to give back her life for the moon because it's the only way that the waterbenders can assist. And Aang still has to be there at the end of the day so that they can win. But he still can't do it himself. He still needs the backup. He still needs his friends. And that's the reoccurring theme, is that even though he has to defeat Ozai, he does not have to do it by himself. Yep. And he has his backup, and he has his friends, and they are there to both physically and mentally support him. And that's a really fucking good message for kids. I also just realized something. Yes. The entire final battle, everyone has... A team with them, except for the Fire Nation, which splits up its entire group. Like, they split off the fleet, the air fleet, so that the Fire Lord is alone. Ozai and Azula split up. 
Like, everything about the Fire Nation is dividing on all fronts, whereas Team Avatar splits and goes with, like, the buddy system. And so you have Sokka grabbing Toph instead of letting her fall. And you have Suki coming and saving both of them. And you have Zuko jumping in front of Azula's lightning for Katara. Like, and then Ain reconnecting with the Avatar state and having all the Avatars before him. It's mm-hmm. literally the people who are alone versus the people who are on teams yeah. in the finale. Quick note about the finale, too. I love that Momo's with him through his entire adventure on the lion turtle, and mm-hmm. then he's waiting in that, like, field of rock pillars for the air fleet, and he's like, okay, Momo, it's time for you to go now, and Momo flies away, and then at the end, when he's, Comes like, back. standing victorious, Momo flies down and lands on his shoulder. Like, he was just watching from the side the whole time. <laughs> he was ready to come in and help if things got too, too <laughs> bad. Yeah, but it's just such a nice touch of just, like, Eh, almost there. Almost there. It's very cute. And it's such a beautiful, like, it's my favorite brand of comic relief where it's not necessarily funny, but it's lighthearted. Yes. Because it's just like, and here's his pet. Yeah. Because sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you need comic relief, but you don't need to laugh out loud. Well, you don't, will... you don't need comic relief necessarily. Yes. Yeah, you yeah, need yeah. relief from the tension. Yeah. And I think, I think comic relief is overused in, just in general. So I, I love, <clears throat> yeah, God. I watched an entire video essay about Marvel humor and how they undercut all of their serious moments with comic relief because it's like they don't trust that their that like their heavy moments are going to land properly, so they like ruin them before people can make the judgment for themselves yeah. of whether it's landing. I just don't like it because it feels like you're telling your audience you're not allowed to get deep. Don't read deeply into this. It's not a deep story. <laughs> and yet, there's still the entirety of Tumblr. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> on the note of the finale, let's talk about the music and how, uh, specifically, <sighs> the Agni Kai music. It's so Can we good. talk about the Agni Kai music? It's so good. Oh. Music in this show, too, is done really, really well, where there's so many callbacks done by music, and there's so many themes portrayed by music, and so many character themes. Um, and, like... The victorious music is always the same. That calm, we're flying away on opera music is always the same. Mm, that's um, so good. The music in this entire series is fucking amazing. It's so... Chills. Fucking mm-hmm. chills. Mm-hmm. I really love the Agni Kai scene because it is like... I think I learned this in my old English class. that The idea that a, a true tragedy in terms of storytelling isn't just like the death or the pointlessness of it. it's it's the fact that it's two not necessarily bad people or rivaling people are going to hopelessly end up to like it is inevitable and that's what makes it a tragedy not like what they're fighting for or how it ends up just that the fighting is inevitable and so mm-hmm. that Agni Kai between Azula and Zuko is the true definition of a tragedy that like they have no control over it they that were not siblings the ones. have to meet in battle, and yeah. you know someday they will battle, and one of them will win. Yeah, and they—they're not the ones who set themselves up for this. They're not the ones who. It's the world that they were born yes. into, kind of thing. Yes, it's the world. It's their father. It, yes, and so that it's like the true definition of a tragedy, and I think the music does such a good job of like even without like the literary literary analysis of it all, the music is sitting there and saying. This is not the epic battle you're waiting mm-hmm. for in this finale. This is fucking heartbreaking. And I also love that they mute the noise of their bending oh, so that so you're good. just listening to the epicness and the sadness well, of that music and not 
paying as much attention to physically what they are doing. You were caught up in the emotions of the battle and not the physicalness of the battle. Do they, because you've watched it more recently than I have, do they fully mute the bending? Or do you can it's hear the muffled. rush, can't you? Yes, and it's that, muffled. I think that's even more powerful because you can almost like, you don't always get the full impact of the different forms of bending, especially fire, because like everything kind of shakes a little and you get the like thuds when you do uh, earth bending and stuff like that. And Aang just, his entire personality is air bending. But like, I feel like with fire bending, we don't always get how serious it is but like that must like they must feel it at all times like being close to a fire whether you get hit or not is such a intense feeling so I feel like that's one of the moments where they really do emphasize exactly how it would feel and what it would be like in that moment I don't know it's just so sound design music such brilliant choices by the entire team during that scene that might that moment is like a masterpiece in animation and yeah Everything. Here's my um, Avatar fun fact. Yep. That scene, the Agni Kai, two professional fighters that were like masters in the style, which I should know the name of the style since I have read the information about it, but I don't. Um, they choreographed and fought the whole thing out <gasps> and they filmed it and used that as their base for the animation. So like that was actually a choreographed fight that like professional fighters performed. I feel like they did that a little... Well, because they had different military styles, different martial arts styles for every single uh, element, right? Yes. Do you remember watching that stuff on Nickelodeon when it'd be, like, the little, like, blurbs of them, like, sketching one of the characters and being like, this is our research that we did going into... Mm -hmm. I love that shit. Um, There's so much much care went into this show. So much love and passion. Yeah. What's really interesting, though... um, so there's bonus features on your DVDs. There are. You are correct. And there's a horribly cringy thing about the making of Avatar that's just a white dude posing for, like, drawing each of the, um, like, scenes where he would, like, take pictures of himself and then, like, use those as his references. But he's one of the creators and writers of the show. So then it becomes a little bit of an awkward, like... This white dude who was just, like, really obsessed with Asian culture invented this show. And, like, I don't want to get into a, like, Avatar is problematic kind of thing. But, like, it's a little weird. Never really thought about it before. But then he is, like, because everything is done as, like, homage to traditional, like, values of the different cultures. And even, like, the architecture and the fashion is like, based in real architect and fashion. Um, so, like, everything is done in what seems to be a completely respectful way, and obviously we're not the authorities on that, because um, if you white. didn't know, we're white. And um, so, like, it's one of those of just, like, we're going to talk about it this much probably and then just move on because, like, we don't have a say sort of thing, but it's just, like, a little weird. Could yeah. be a lot worse, though. Yeah. And there's, like, some stuff in the show that I'm sure is, like, microaggressions, but... Possibly. Someone who's not us can figure out if they think that the respect to tradition outweighs that or not, you know? Yeah. I also, and I realize that this could be entirely wrong, um, because I am a white person, and as a white person, I do not know these things, or have no authority speaking over them. But I feel like it's slightly different when it's fantasy. Not always. Um, But, like, because it is a completely made-up culture, 
mm-hmm. rather than and it's not and fantasy can do this completely wrong because fantasy can be like it's a completely made up culture and then just fill it with microaggressions um, or like not so microaggressions. Um, but I feel like when you do it right, you are it, it's it's less of a because it's not actually a, appropriating and a real culture. It is creating one, and you're getting inspiration from it, something. So you still have to tread that line carefully, um, and obviously always be respectful. But yeah, I don't know. I almost feel like it would be different if Avatar was like a historic show rather yes. than a complete fantasy, right? And I think where the problem lies is when things are, like, obviously metaphors. Like, let's look at, like, the races in, like, most fantasy things where they're like, oh, but, like, it's this fantasy race that I've made up. And you're like, is it? Yeah. Or is this just racism? <laughs> yep. Um, but, yeah. Early D&D had a lot of that. Which is the problem when you have... A or the fact that nerd culture has primarily been no the fact that the loudest voices in nerd culture have primarily been uh white men mm-hmm. women invented science fiction <laughs> oh good who haven't we talked about yet let's talk about the women okay because I was just sitting here like oh we haven't talked about Katara that much and then I was like remembered that that episode with Katara and Toph fighting which is also mm. one of my favorite episodes the whole um, blind bandit not the is it called the what, whatever one that they turned yes in. the blind bandit um, um not, okay, not so, when we meet Toph but when they turn her in in the Fire Nation yes that was not called the blind bandit I don't remember what that one's called. She had a different name then. Yeah. Okay. Blend Bandit was her wrestling name. But I just, I, I think I like how uh, every single female character we meet is just extraordinarily different from the other. Mm-hmm. And they are also, also the fact that they are allowed to have tension without being catty with each other. Like, Toph and Katara are 12 year old and 14 year old who are forced to go on life changing journeys together. <laughs> of course, they're going to butt heads, but they love and adore each other so much, and it has shown that their source of conflict is from how much they care about each other. And that's just, and I think that's beautiful. <sighs> See, that episode actually really bothered me this watch through because really? it seemed so much like it was being treated as well, of course, the girls have to have conflict with one another. And their conflict is about petty things like, you went through my stuff, and not, like, about the war. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that's how it was being treated, so it actually kind of bothered me. See, and I, I, what I like about the episode, like, initially, I love the formatting of it, because it does, it's slightly different than the others, where it starts with Toph getting captured, and, like, that kind of thing. And I think Yeah, that's cool the first creatively. time that we do a, like, flash-forwardy kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, and I, I like when episodes and shows just do that in general, so I think that's why I liked it originally. Um, but I used to not like the fact that they fought, but my last watch through of it, I actually was sitting, like, I feel like it does kind of have that shallow surface level cattiness to it, but it's also like their conflict starts because Toph just wants to have fun and the guys just want to have a break and Katara is so focused on the war and doesn't know how to have a break. And so it's still involved in these higher emotions and issues and I do love the fact that it resolves one that it's Sokka who helps resolve it rather than Aang who's supposed to make peace in the world um but I I do like the way that it resolves and that it's hitting on such like deep emotions that neither of them are able to really talk about least of all with each other like 
I, it does have that surface level kindness. Again, with the, like, it is still a kid's show, so it's trying to aim towards kids. But I, I don't know. I really like it. I think it has, I think it does a good job of portraying all the deeper issues that are behind it. Mm-hmm. I know there was also, like, a, another episode where they were fighting that was after the episode that was, like, revolving around them fighting. Um, and I can't remember what it was now. There's the one when they first have Toph and they're running from Azula. And Toph leaves and meets Iroh that way. Oh, yeah. But that's, like, she's fighting with everyone then. But it's mostly that, like, Katara's Her being, like, Katara a nagging like, mom. Yeah. That's the episode, actually, that bothered me more. Yeah. That's the one that really bothers me. I can see that. Because it's seen a lot as, like, Katara's being a nagging mom. And that is unreasonable for her to ask Toph to help. Because mm-hmm. um, even though I think it's supposed to be that, like, we're annoyed with both of them, it comes off a lot more that you're supposed to be no- annoyed at Katara, I think. Really? Because Toph is the one who learns the lesson from it. She literally goes and has a uh, lesson with Iroh. I, I do dislike the fact that Ain and Sokka are just left out of it entirely. Right. They're like not going to they... get annoyed at any point in time. But... Well, it's like they're not going to get annoyed at the same things that the girls are because it's like householdy stuff of like setting up yep. the tents and shit and like Katara's the mom so she has to delegate all of the tasks to the rest of them and that's why she's at the core of the conflict. Yeah. It can't be like Sokka who asks Toph if she can help set up the tents. It has to be Katara because she's managing them like a family. Mm-hmm. And a woman has to be the family manager. Yeah. And if a woman is in charge and doing things that you don't like of course she's gonna be bitchy about it like that kind of thing. Right. Um, exactly. Yeah. But even then, I do think they they hit on, like, because that's early on learning about Toph. So it's it's Toph realizing that she's not the neglected child anymore. And it's Katara kind of realizing that she's doesn't have to be the mom friend all the mm-hmm. time. And I think that their tension could have been resolved better overall in the series by them having, like, some emotional moment together mm-hmm. where, like, Toph, like talks to Katara about, like, how she feels about her parents or something, and Katara's able to console her, which we get, like, a tiny bit of. We get pieces of it. But, like, I think they needed a bigger moment together to, like, finish their story of conflict. That's also one that they like to... It it didn't come up normally. It was like, it came up because it's relevant to this episode, and then it came up because it's relevant to this episode, both in the conflict and in the resolution, because it doesn't... Mm -hmm. Toph asks Katara to write a letter to her mom, but that's the, I think that's the episode where they, the one I was talking about where they are fighting and resolve that. Like, I believe it is too, yes. So, like, it, it's, it doesn't come up normally, so it's definitely used just as a plot device, and that's kind of annoying, but, mm-hmm. again, kitsch. Oh. Right. How much can we ask of it? <laughs> <laughs> we ask so much because it gives so much. Yeah. Are we greedy? Yes. <laughs> we absolutely are. Um, favorite character? Oh, it's so hard. Okay, okay. Favorite character in season one, season two, and season three. Ooh, okay. I feel like my favorite character in season one... They're all kind of annoying in season one. <laughs> <laughs> they are. Like, Aang is so plucky that he's annoying, and Katara is like so filled with hope she's annoying and Sokka's so sexist he's annoying exactly (laughs) Zuko's so angsty he's annoying (laughs) 
Like, Iroh, I guess. <laughs> but even Iroh then plays so heavily into the, like, clueless old man trope in season one. Yeah. Everyone is kind of a lot more of a, like, stereotype in season one. Mm-hmm. They don't have any depth yet. They don't have any depth until the North Pole. <laughs> oh. Because honestly, like, yeah, it's like once they get to the North Pole that everybody gains more depth because Katara is pissed off <laughs> about misogyny and... Suko, or Suko. (laughs) It's a ship name now. Um, (laughs) The thing is, it could be Suki or Sokka. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, Sokka falls in love, and Zuko has his whole, like, he steals the Avatar and almost dies shit. Um, And Aang realizes the severity of the situation. Like, none of them are good in the first season until the North Pole. That's that's when they get depth. They become round characters at the North Pole. I would almost say that Zuko is the roundest character at that point because he's the blue spirit and he has his conflict with Zhao and he has who he is with his uncle versus who he is with the rest of the crew. Mm -hmm. Um, He kind of is because he's the only character we have multiple perspectives on Mm -hmm. other than just like Zuko's perspective on the people he's hunting. He, like, that's the only way we have multiple perspectives on, like, the main trio at that point. Um, versus we have a lot of people's perspectives on Zuko. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's any side characters that I just fucking adore in the first season. Suki. Yeah. Yeah. Although she comes off as, like, a super hard ass off the bat. She does. And she doesn't have a lot going on in the first season. Because she is just there for, like, 20 minutes. Right. It is pretty cool, though, too, that, like, they brought along a character from the first season like that, and from, that like, she became such a- the third episode. Kyoshi yeah. Island is Kyoshi the first place they go that isn't the South Pole. Um, yeah, but that is really cool, that they bring her along, and that she ends up being such a major character. Because it's not even like, oh, she shows up on the day of Black Sun, like, she continues after that. Because, yes, we get a ton of callbacks with who shows up that day for the invasion. But she- become such a bigger part. Something that I realized with the fact that I'm now rewatching Korra as well is that they mentioned Sokka and they mentioned that he was on the like council for uh, Republic City, but we never hear anything about Sokka's children or who he married. So we don't actually know if him and Suki ended up together. And which, that's the only one of Team Avatar we don't know about, right? Right. It's all them two. Literally all we know is that he helped establish Republic City Poor is the only one who's actually dead in the second season. And Aim, but... Yeah. Everyone else is just... Katara sitting there like, all my friends and my brother are gone. And everyone is <laughs> and still there. And it's all like, quit telling people I'm dead! <laughs> yep. And Zuko's like, yeah, I have a bomb-ass dragon. I'm still here. And Toph ran off to be a hermit in the woods. And mm-hmm. literally everyone's still there. I feel like they there. totally set you up to think that Zuko's dead by introducing his son, who was named Iroh, like, so early. And then they're like... JK, he's still alive. Yep. Which would make sense as to why his son is not on the throne, but instead commander of, like, the Republic Army. Yeah. Navy. The Navy. Yeah. Oh, I need to rewatch Korra. It's so fucking dark. Yeah. Like, I knew it was dark, but, like, damn, it's dark. Yeah. I feel like I'd like it more rewatching it, because I didn't super, like, especially the second season. The second season, I... uh, I'm not a huge fan. It's not as much of a drag as I remember from the first time we watched it, 
but I still don't think I like it that much. I'm still Mostly sad. because, like, they got more into the, like, har-har misogyny humor and, like, bad tropes than, like, Last Airbender did, even though, like, it's much more modern. There was a pretty big gap of time between the series coming yeah. out. Yeah. And we I came in college when Korra was finishing. And they went further into, like... OMG, I hate my wife kind of humor. I don't remember anything. I just... Bolin is very misogynistic in a, like, oh, oh he's yeah, just, yeah. like, dumb kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the constant love triangle, girl-on-girl hate between yeah. Korra oh, and Oh, yeah, that was always Asami. really sad. I, I think that's actually... Because I have... Not having watched the season... The sh- the series since it came out, basically, and we we watched it together. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't watched it. I I remember thinking like, not that it came out of nowhere because I watching the third season, I knew that they were going to get together at the end, and mm-hmm. so you can see the foreshadowing. Um, but kind of being like, wishing that they had built Korra and Asami up better before that point. Right. Like, if they were going to do it, they might as well have committed to it. They were already removed yeah. from the air. But, but they, they didn't Not until the third season. Hard. So the first two seasons... Right. But even in the third season, like... They commit that hard. No. Yeah. They could have committed harder to I don't know that. when they got pulled off the air, though. Was it the whole third season, or was it the last few weeks? It was... It was more than half the season got pulled from the air. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So it's like, how much did they write ahead of time? Like, that kind of thing. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. So I get it. They had limitations, but like, yeah, that was always sad from the beginning, especially since we didn't have a lot of other women Cora's age, right? Because two, there's less secondary characters because there's more um, like there's more age mentors. difference between the reoccurring characters. So then. You really just have that main four again and again and again and mm-hmm. again. Because everybody else they regularly interact with is is actual adults. Yeah. Whereas Team Avatar always reacted with other teenagers. Right. So it makes it, yeah, very different in a lot of ways. Maybe that's why I don't like it as much, as it's such a... The style of the drawing also changed and became much mm-hmm. more like... Like, they all have more, like, European sort of features. And then there's characters who are, like, obviously the Asian characters. And it's, like, kind of uncomfy. Interesting. There's one member of, like, the Triple Threats, the street gang, Mm -hmm. who's, like, obviously drawn to be Asian in a, like, caricature kind of way. And it's, like, but you're all Asian. (laughs) Like, it's really confusing, but they drew them with, like, very Eurocentric features. I'd be interested to see... How, like, the creative teams of both Avatar and Korra to see who is still there. Um, the creators slash writers, like, the two guys are on both. Well, yeah. But, like, just in general. Like, their animation team and their writing team and everything like that. Yeah. Because I feel like they built Republic City and then they were like, okay, but everything has to feel more modern because they're in their industrial age and then somehow modernness equated to, like, colonialism and, like, white yeah, people. Yeah, Which is uncomfy. But yeah. Sorry, not to keep being, like, Avatar's problematic. <laughs> Things can be problematic and we can still love them. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. I should rewatch Korra. So, I don't know. 
We still don't have a theme for this episode. We never had a thesis about Avatar. That's okay. It is a, it is a three seasons of a TV show. We're not going to usually talk about stuff that spreads that long. We're usually going to talk about watch stuff with the intent of having a connection between them. Avatars. The theme is that Avatar is good, it defies expectations and cliches, and things can be problematic and you can still like them. Yeah, there we go. Good summary. So with that, I think uh, we're done. That's it? That's, that's all, it. That's all I've that's got. That's the episode. That's all she wrote. That's all she wrote. That's a different thing. <laughs> Fun fact. Nobody knows where that's all she wrote came from. We don't know the origin. I wonder if it's in my quotations and sayings book. Not like an actual one. Well, what like information about it? Yeah. One of my coworkers literally emailed um, the Britannica dictionary like hotline thing that you can be subscribed to, and they don't know. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. So I was curious. So if you're interested in more absolutely useless <laughs> uh, fun facts, random facts, you can follow us on our Twitters. I am Grace underscore Jessica. That's Jessica with two A's. And my Twitter is at hey it's abj. That is uh, amyjay, and there's an underscore in the middle, and that is not how I normally say it, and I can't remember how I, I normally say it. I knew there was an underscore. But you, you know what? Say... I got up at four a.m. today, so that's very fair. Okay, so you can also follow this podcast Twitter at bfafpod. If you were already following the at yes good podcast Twitter, you're already following us. Thank you for your patronage. <laughs> um, Interact with us. Hit us up. Listen to this episode. I don't know. <laughs> Tell us your favorite Avatar theories. Send us your favorite Avatar gifts. Send us some good Avatar TikToks. Send us what episodes you want to see and what you want us to talk about. Um, other stuff. The Last of Us Part 2 episode is coming out soon due to scheduling and technical difficulties. We don't have it out this week, but be watching for that in two weeks' time. We are so excited to get into it. It's going to be a long episode. You're going to need some snacks. Long, long episode. Yeah. Um, but other than that, uh, thanks for listening. Follow our Twitters. Stay safe out there. Black Lives Matter. Happy Pride. It's technically July 1st, but you know what? Happy Pride. And yeah, have a yes, good day. It's not outdated, Amy. Don't look at me like that. (laughs)